Welcome to episode 142 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Have you ever gotten about halfway through something and lost steam? That happened as I was driving to New York with my family a couple of weeks ago during Passover and Easter weekend. As per usual, there was traffic and each bathroom and snack stop meant more hours on the road. There's a moment when we're not near home anymore and not anywhere near our destination either, the midpoint. It can be a tough moment on a long car trip. I hit this midpoint also when writing my first book and I'm in this moment now with my second book. The middle is where we either decide to give up or double down on our effort. I was thinking about this recently after two clients and a colleague asked how to stay motivated in the middle of a project or get motivated to restart a dormant project. There are two things that help me in these moments, value and why. What is the value of doing this project? How will it help others? Why am I doing this project? How does it fit in with my personal or career goals? One way I get clear on what value I'm offering the world is to reread thank you emails and testimonials from people who have been helped by my work. I get a huge boost when I watch a gratitude video from a client. I love hearing how my free masterclass series has helped someone. It's awesome to read a detailed five-star Amazon review for my book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. That helps me remember that whatever I'm working on is about offering value that will be appreciated. But the project has to be aligned with my current goals or I won't have the desire to keep going. That's where the why comes in. Understanding my personal motivation for this particular project and how it relates to my goals. Know my value, my why is just what I need to get back on the road and heading toward my destination. Your challenge for this week. Get prepared for the midpoint now by gathering positive feedback into an easy to access place. Print a few particularly thoughtful comments and put them around your workspace. Create a mantra that helps you remember the value you're offering the world. When the midpoint comes, embrace it as an opportunity to get clear on your value and why. If you're waking a dormant project, build in time before each work session to look through positive feedback you've received and get focused on how the project fits with your goals. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest unleashes human potential through mindful techniques. Known as a C-suite network advisor on mindfulness in the workplace, she helps stressed-out leaders find and sustain greater focus, clarity, and inner peace, resulting in a more grounded and powerful presence and enhanced profits. She began her career in the world of nonprofits and volunteer leadership, teaching thousands of associations, staff, and volunteers how to reboot for success. Today, she takes the best of her strategic vision expertise, blends it with mindful leadership practices and her event background, to curate experiential events that change hearts, minds, and companies. She's the author of several books. Her latest, Everyday Mindfulness, From Chaos to Calm in a Crazy Work, was an Amazon top new release in 2018. She received numerous awards and is the producer and host of the Everyday Mindfulness Show. Please join me in welcoming Holly Duckworth. Hello, Robbie. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm so looking forward to this time together. Holly, thank you for joining me from your office in Denver, Colorado. I'm thrilled that you're able to do this. And I wanted to say, um, you know, this is the power of networking. You were referred to me by Del Sears. This is like what happens when you 
put out to the universe that you're looking to meet awesome people. So I know that you know that the show is about leadership and building strong networks. So let's start with that. Tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Uh, great question. Fun question. I really know that words are powerful. And so you'll see in a lot of my blogging and in my speaking, I actually really invite people in today's busy and chaotic world to go back to that old school thing, like the dictionary, maybe dictionary.com and, and look up the word. So as, as we were preparing for the interview today, I did just exactly that. And um, the action of leading a group of people or an organization, um, you know, providing guidance and direction, it's a state of a position, a head of state, a ruler. Um, and so by, by the nature of trying to create some sense of agreement around leadership, I always kind of try to default to something like that. And I know your question is, how do I define leadership? And I think it's kind of just exactly that. It's both that combination of skills, characters, and abilities um, that also fit into the idea of, of a position. But um, for me, I believe that everyone is a leader. And if you've made the choice to be a homemaker, then you are the leader of your home. If you choose to be CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you get to lead that. And so all of those gifts we give to the world come from our own ability to lead ourselves first. And I say, you know, being self-first is not selfish. I think um, our world had a big wave of oh, servant leadership, servant leadership, servant leadership, which is great. But I don't think you can have a servant leader without first serving yourself, um, which is kind of a, a natural dovetail to that next question, which is how did I know that I had a, that I had leadership abilities? Wow, so that that's kind of a crazy question. I think all of us as leaders, and even you know, I define everyone as a leader. I'm like, oh, I'm not a leader, you know, like like our humanness shows up, and uh, for me. Uh, leadership came as kind of a, a natural skill. I didn't grow up with parents that were, you know, CEOs of companies or that my dad was a machinist at Freightliner, very blue collar. So recognizing my skills as a leader really started um, when people came to me and pointed them out to me. I have the privilege of being one of the youngest ever presidents of a state chapter of Meeting Professionals International, went on to serve as a president for the National Speakers Association in, in the state of Oregon. So for me, it's it's that natural ability to lead and mentor and provide questions that invite others to create the direction. I think that's the tipping point we're at in, in today's leadership style. It used to be leaders went into the glass house and they made all the decisions and then they came down from on high and said, here's the direction we're going to go. And And now I believe that leadership is more about that we and how do we create a direction together down here in the in the muck and the mud and the goo and the sand and the beach and the excitement of not knowing but creating a future together. There's so many awesome things I want to unpack in that. And one of the things that was so notable was in one breath you said everyone is a leader and the next breath you were backpedaling around whether you yourself identified as a leader, which is so human. <laughs> and I've, I've had many guests balk at this question and like, uh, well, I can define leadership, but wait, when did I realize it? And I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't have invited you on this show if I didn't see you in the world as a leader. So very telling. And I think it's good to realize that, like we all have to recognize within ourselves these abilities and I love the we framing at the end when you were talking about like the power of not just being out front and telling people what to do, but collaboratively 
creating what that looks like. What is that collaborative vision moving forward? But even before you were MPI president in Oregon, which, uh, how old were you? You said you were the youngest. You know, I was under 30 at that time. You're under 30. That is pretty young for, for a national, I'm sure a state uh, association chapter um, leadership. That's, that's pretty, yeah, that is pretty young. So, but even before that, what were you like as a kid in the playground? Were you the one organizing people? Were you kind of hanging back? Did you have people you looked up to as leaders? Like what was your sort of earliest understanding of this concept, even before you had the words for it? You know, that's so funny. I've been actually sort of thinking about this a lot lately. Um, for me, I wasn't the team sports girl. I tended to be more the the individual. I mean, it won't surprise you, Robbie, that, you know, I, I was the president of the FBLA in high school, the future business leaders of America. I was actually, believe it or not, a meteorology major, weather forecasting. I worked at the local, local media station. So for me at that time, that chapter of my life, I was more of the that independent academic leader person. Uh, but I always, I, I, as I look back on my life now, I wonder how my experience would be informed if I was more involved in the, the team sport leadership, because I know that that's so important. Mm, interesting. Yeah. And then were there people who you saw early on as, as having great leadership and you were like, I hope to be like that one day. They just seem like they really know what they're doing. You have, you yeah. said you're, your parents weren't quite, the, you know, they weren't the CEO type. So who who are the people that inspired you to even think this way? You know, I don't know that I had one mentor, but I always knew this inner knowing within me that I was supposed to be a teacher. Mm. And But I always knew that I didn't want to be a teacher in a classroom. So I mean, my mentors and the people that I look, looked up to were you know, the FBLA business coach and, and teacher. In fact, ironically, she and I are, are still good friends, you know, 30 years later. And I, you know, whenever I go back to Oregon, I, I get to see her. Um, but it was those people that were seeing skills in me, that were nurturing skills in, in me, inviting me to do other things. You know, my one of my early careers, I, I had a, a mentor, um, Jackie Harper, who was a CMP, certified meeting professional. And she kind of came to me and, and challenged me what you should go after this, this designation. And then I went on to get a couple of other designations and it was people kind of inviting me to challenge myself and grow myself and play with skills. Now they weren't necessarily always framed as leadership, but you know, down the path, you start to recognize that, you know, my networks grew as a result of these educational experiences. My knowledge grew as a result of those experiences. And it does place you in the top of many of, of your fields as you continue to explore the knowledge and the people that you can grow with and have, have fun with and, and laugh with and, you know, sometimes fail with too. Yeah. Well, and I think the power there is that there are people who saw that within you and that we, we as adults can do that for other people. Like they, you know, our peers and younger people, we can see within them and, and invite them to step into leadership. I think that's what you were offered. You're offered. They're like, no, you can do this. You can go after this designation and you did it. And maybe you wouldn't have seen it for yourself. And that's, it's, it's usually critical that someone else invites us in to, to that. So, okay. So you had this momentous start. Uh, you, you, you headed off, you got your certified meeting professional designation. You got involved in meeting professionals international Oregon chapter where you were living at the time you ascended into leadership there. <laughs> uh, you found your way into the national speakers association. Like your journey has morphed a little bit and now you're working in the mindfulness space. Like, 
what's the shift? Like, what was the topic that was drawing you into those other spaces? And and how did you make this transition? And was it even a transition? Or for you, was it just a natural evolution? You know, this is something I think people need to talk about more. And you picked up on it in that, that early question, authenticity. Uh, um, I am who I am, who I am good, bad, and, and interesting. And, and each and every day I try to grow a little bit more in my willingness to share that, you know, if our Facebook life was our real life, my life would look very different. And, and, and yet I think people connect to me because I, I trip and I fall and I do the work and then I try something else and life is fine. And if I only told you the story of all the, the, the successes and the books and the awards, you'd connect to the work, but you don't connect to it like, wow, this woman really does the work. And so for me, there's something fun about the journey. And I think it's unfortunate now in many of our schools, we require kids at a young age, are you going to be in STEM? Are you going to be in construction? Are you going to be an executive? Like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And and there's something fun about exploring that as a child, but then there becomes this massive pressure to, to be that. And I, like I said, I started out as a meteorology major. Well, um, I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a weather girl. My dad reminds me of that very often, but I, I got into a place where I just came, kept saying yes to curiosity and discovery. And I would say yes to a new experience, seeing the fear, but being willing to sort of go through it and, and try something different and recognize that I could never do it wrong. I would just be another learning and another learning. And some of them have been great. And some of them have been interesting, um, but it was in that power of, of the yes and knowing that I had everything I needed, the support systems to do that. I, I work a lot with ASAE, the American Society for Association Executives. I've had the honor and privilege of serving on Jan, John Graham's CEO council. I wrote and co-authored a couple of books with them and provided chapters. But again, it's, I didn't, I mean, there's no part. I grew up very blue collar, double wide trailer park, Wilsonville, Oregon, just south of Portland. These were not things that I thought I would be doing, but I would say yes, and I'd play with the clay, and then yes, and play with the clay, and I'd ask a question and, and grow. That, you know, there's leadership as position, and there's leadership as doing, and I think often I, I have the privilege of being put in this leadership pool because I, I'm out there hacking the weeds. I don't necessarily know what I'm doing, so when I put meeting planning, association executive, and as you alluded to, spiritual practitioner or mindfulness in a blender, I didn't know at the time that that was even not a thing and um, completely rebranded my, my business, it totally crashed. And then this world mindfulness became sexy and I stepped into that. And now it's one of the forefront leading trends in business, but it wasn't always that way. And I think as leaders, sometimes we have to, to go forth and, and do good, not knowing where it's going to take us, but kind of trusting the process and, and timing can be a little bit of everything. <laughs> you said whacking at the weeds. And I was really picturing this as a leader, like part of being a leader is you forge new paths. So on this mindfulness space, you were forging a new path that people weren't as ready to follow. And then as more and more people joined in forging that path, suddenly it became easier to go down that path and people noticed it and were drawn into it, you know, because there's the early adopters, which are few, and then there's the masses, <laughs> and then there was the people who lag behind and will never adapt to anything new. Um, but I think, you know, what's hard is if you're ahead of a trend, it sounds like you had an interest in your, your natural curiosity. This, I love this idea also of the power of saying yes, the power of yes, 
that that openness, that curiosity, that like that you know, well, it'll be interesting whether it works or not. It'll be interesting. Like it's a very different frame than I might have abject failure and be miserable. Like that could be how other people look at taking a risk, and you're like, no, I'm willing to to try this and see where it goes. And you're also trying to be true to who you are. Like, I think it's too easy, like you said, to fall into the trap of success. Now you're on this path and you now need to continue on this path until you reach the, you know, the, the pinnacle of whatever other people have helped shape your future to be. And you were like not being pinned down. It sounds like as you were drawn, you kept being willing to sidestep into other paths. Is that Am I accurately portraying? Yeah, you you were kind of asking about about transition, and, and it, sometimes you know I I I, I joke I, I let go of something as the, the as the fingernails are bleeding, you know, like you do things and then you love it, but it's, it's you know you kind of have to gently let go of one as you open your hand to the, to the other, and sometimes I do that well, and sometimes not so well. Um, the transition from the hardcore business and strategy person I was into the the mindful leadership piece has been a little tricky because as you said, some people will get it and some people won't. And you want everybody to love you, especially, you know, as women entrepreneurs and women leaders, I just want everybody to love me. And what I've come to understand is this mindfulness thing for some people is, it is misunderstood. And so it becomes religion and then, Oh, we can't talk about religion at work and division of church and state and whatever. And so they're either drawn to me because they're curious and they're willing to hear what I have to say about it, or they freak and they run and I have to, to bless them on their way. But that, that is a continuous path for us as we become who we're here to be. I, I don't think any of us have, have a straight path. And I have found in some of those windy, curvy roads, the best lessons I've ever had didn't come from being on that straight path. But oftentimes I'll come back around. And I'll, okay, now it makes sense. Meeting planning, number one, most stressed out industry, you know, in the world. Um, association executive, you know, often challenged with resources and, and vision. So my, so my background in mindfulness and spirituality helps people center and focus and bring all those gifts into the world. I could not have planned all of those pieces to go together. But now I see how all that becomes a tool that I can use to serve the world. And that's just it. It's your, it's your positioning, it's your unique positioning that you're offering. And even though there are other people in the world that are offering mindfulness, you're able to offer it with your history. And that's the power of what you're doing, right? And so other people could not follow your path because they wouldn't have had your experience. They would, even if they were interested in mindfulness today, they probably wouldn't have the experience that you're bringing into the association and the meetings world. So it's just really interesting to like, I feel like you're just appreciating what you've done while you're forging ahead to new places. This idea of gripping, <laughs> letting go slowly from one thing while you're gripping onto another. So here's, here's a different question for you then, um, Holly. What do you, what do you find most rewarding about the work you're doing today? That's such a such a fun question. I was on vacation last week in Hawaii, and I happen to be a, a beach person. I live in Denver, Colorado, so being in the ocean is, is a big is a big release for me. Letting go, resetting, and I, I I've had a lot of bumps. Twenty seventeen and eighteen, I think, was hard for a lot of people, and so I'm really celebrating this kind of almost sense of new beginnings in the business. Um, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, a little later in the show. I, I wrote two books in 2018. The second one is called Everyday Mindfulness from Chaos to Calm in a Crazy World. And 
I had built a belief system in me that, you know, the book had to be hard and it had to be science and facts and data and driven and this whole, you know, like, what's the story you're telling yourself about the life you want to create? And this most recent book I wrote, designed, edited, and made it a number one um, new release on Amazon in 75 days. And I don't say that to brag, but I say that to say, what's that yes within you? I I had a relationship in my experience fall away and I had to make a choice. Am I going to let this crumble me or am I going to let this grow me? And I, I chose to say yes to this book and, and that's, that I'm celebrating because of how it's touching the world. It's kind of like, you know, you, you drop the water in, in the river and it, and it ripples. And this book, it's, you know, 410 pages. It's a daily reader. But each of us have to think about as you know, leading your family or the PTA or your company, what's the little drop of good, of hope, of peace, of joy you can bring to the world each day that then ripples out and ripples out and ripples out. So I'm kind of celebrating the simplicity of this thing uh, that's really bringing joy to the world and allowing me to be my authentic self and, and have a lot of fun. Wow. That's fantastic. I love that you're, you're, you're allowing yourself to witness the success of it as it's happening and not waiting for some other metrics. The metric well, is I, you did it. Like I, that. I wish that was true, but so many people are coming to me with that question. I'm like, you know, I kind of think like I celebrate, I'm not really celebrating anything right now, but it is, how do we honor our, our humanness and our being and so thank you for actually asking the question because it makes me do it again and we the more we celebrate the good in our life the more we get to bring more more good in and um, I actually kind of ban the word humble in my world I know some people oh let's be a humble leader to be a leader you must be humble I think there's a, a fine balancing act there that you know well-behaved women rarely make history and um you know, I, I, there's a certain part of me that wants to be the nice girl, but then there's also a part of me that wants to say, you know, I'm going to make a ripple in the ocean so that we can create a world that works for everyone. One of the, my favorite uh, threads that happens each week on, um, on Facebook is I'm, I'm in a private group that's run by Dory Clark and uh, part of a recognized expert Facebook group and someone every week posts uh, small victories. And what I love about it is that it allows people to like acknowledge sometimes these little progress, you know, like that you make. And we often overlook because we're always hungry as entrepreneurs to like do the next thing. So even when we have a big win, we rarely, we rarely take the time to really appreciate even a big win. Cause you know, when I was writing my first book, I had a moment when I realized that launch day wasn't the end. It was day one. And so then I started planning for like what happened after the book came out. So like there has to be a moment in all of this where we acknowledge day to day our wins. Um, And one other thing that sort of comes from this that I think kind of relates back to probably the work that you're doing is the idea of writing three good things every day. That's been a practice that we've brought into my coaching clients. We have a thread going in our group where we each post our three good things daily. And that's because we do, you know, if we're organized, we end the list, we end the day by listing out what we didn't get finished. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's our to-do list for the following day. But it also mentally leaves us thinking about all the things that are unfinished. And mindfulness is like, you know, being present with what is, which is also some joy and some good things that have happened. So tell me a little bit about how you bring the the work of inner peace, like to companies, like give me some examples of, of the work that you're doing. I just want to get a little tangible for people to like, think about like how you come in and, and have an impact. 
So let's just go back to to refine it again. There's this thing about about definitions, and and you were real close with that mindfulness piece. But I want to make sure that we kind of an agreed upon. So for the work that I do, the definition of mindfulness is the practice of being present in the moment with non-judgment. And that's the most common definition by John Kabat-Zinn, who's the founder of uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction research. And I work with individuals and organizations to practice being present in the moment. With love and joy, I often drop that without judgment piece until we get just that practice of being present in the moment. Um, And it's a practice, not a perfect. I think as leaders, we feel this sense of obligation to be perfect all the time. So mindfulness. Um, I have a kind of a seven step little, like a mindful leadership poster. I don't know if you do links on your show, but be happy to give your listeners. Um, I have a mini poster. It's an eight and a half by 11, totally complimentary um, download of, of kind of the seven things to be a mindful leader. And um, those steps are first centering. And I, I teach, you know, let's like, like breathe center, like get fully in the room that applies a lot in meetings um, examining your beliefs. It's done unto us as we believe. So we unpack that. Um, mindful use of technology. I, I think, you know, def- trying to say you're not going to use your technology anymore isn't, isn't reality, but how can we own our technology, not our technology owning us? Um, the book is all about setting intention. How do you set your energy in motion for the day? Um, then we've got gratitude, of course. You talked a little bit about that. Mindful movement. I don't know about you, but I sit on airplanes and, and trains and automobiles and at my desk a little too much. So we talk about mindful movement. Um, we know the ocean waves move, the clouds move. How do we connect our body to that movement? And then the last one, which is oftentimes the first, there's no real order. Every client does it a little different, is creating a vision for your life. And I work a lot with clients. So I have a six-step process where you know, we, we see, feel, sense, and know the vision of who they, who they want to be, the work their organization wants to do. And those seven techniques all put together help you to be a more mindful, present-filled um, leader in the organizations that you run. This piece about... Um and setting intentions really resonates with me. I was just speaking to another guest about this idea of, you know, when you're given the opportunity to do exercises about your vision or your ideal life or your ideal day, and you, you know, you write it and then you forget about it. It could be something that was part of like a class project or something. And then you find that piece of paper five years later and discover that you've actually made tremendous progress towards whatever you had written and in ways that you could never have foreseen being possible in that five-year span with that intentionality. Like once you said it, your brain looks for those possibilities. It, it, it guides you just the same way someone was saying on the show, when you go to buy a car and you pick a model, everywhere you look, you see that car, right? Because your brain is now filtering the world looking for that car. The same way, you know, mindfully setting intentions, setting a vision, the work is happening in the background, allowing us to kind of live our full life. It's, it's, I think more of us could really take this into account into our daily practice. And it sounds like you've found a way to help people reduce some stress, but you also just know a lot of people. So I want to like segue us to this piece about networking because you do clearly you've achieved like, you know, noticed and notable levels of leadership. You also work tirelessly behind the scenes, making things happen. Like you're both a doer and you're like a leader. And so how do you how do you nurture and sustain connection not with your like most inner circle 
but that sort of second and third layers out the people that you, you know, maybe see annually at a conference or colleagues you worked with 15 years ago. Like, how do you like engage the people that you don't have business with today, but you're think these are good people in my network? Um. This is actually an area that I'm currently looking at how to reboot. I told you I, I took a week off last week and I, I intentionally deprogrammed to reprogram. And I'm, I'm in that conversation right now of how do you do it authentically? I know there's you know a lot of speakers and experts out there. I want to do Infusionsoft and 72 webinars a year and, and you know all these people. And if I just drop their name into a custom template email, they'll think it's personal from me. And I really struggle with that. I, I, I need the eyeball to eyeball, just like you and I are, are talking you know, voice to voice. And yet there is sort of a, a magnification that's happening in my career right now. And I, I think it's about, honestly, it's leveraging video and live. And um, I get a lot of great feedback on that. I'm being a little more strategic about, you know, where are my people? Are they on LinkedIn? Are they on Facebook? I, you can't be everything to everyone. So, you know, even friend requests now, you know, if if I met you and I know you, then you, you're probably on my more personal Facebook page. If I don't know you, you've seen me as a, speak, a speaker, you're probably on my more professional profile. Now I put most all the same on that platform. Again, I want to be authentic in every way. Um, but I'm also trying to re-engage in that old school thing you call the phone. <laughs> um, and I'm a real, uh, my, my first job was at Hallmark. My name's Holly, Holly Hallmark. People know me for, I'm really great at cards. So I, I'm kind of going back to old school. You know, I just had beautiful new stationery made um, mail and stuff and, and connecting in that way. Um, I am a licensed spiritual practitioner. That means I can do weddings and funerals and, and marry people. And I, I think celebrating life moments with people. I have um, a girlfriend um, who announced three weeks ago that um, she's going through, through breast cancer. And so for me, it's rushing in when other people are rushing out. And it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be every day, but it might be a text message. I think the book is another example of that. Um, but it's again, what do you believe? And I, I went through a cycle of my life where I believe nobody wanted to hear from me. I don't want to pick up the phone. Nobody wants to hear from me. And, and now that I'm kind of coming out of that cycle into a place of how does my engagement change if I believe the other person on the other end of the phone is excited to hear from me and they, and they want to help me. And I'm getting some really great phone calls and, and text messages from that, that, that engagement. But be bilingual. I joke. I said, I'm, I'm, I can do zoom. I can do Skype. I can do Facebook. I can, you know, bilingual, um, find the language of the person you want to talk to and speak in their language. That's wonderful. I like that last little piece, but I also love that you're on this journey and you're able to sort of pull the curtain back and share that with our listeners. Because I think if you were fully formed as a, I'm, I'm perfect at this, they can't learn as much from you as if you are guiding them through what you figured out. Um, and so I see that it's about trying to leverage technology, about having authentic connections, about looking for the ways to assist and jump in when others maybe are, are pulling back. Um, and and I think that it's interesting because those those examples, none of them are particularly hard, but they do require some mindfulness and awareness, right? Like that, you're practicing in a daily way. Um, I just heard from um, from a colleague. 
you know, that her mother is in hospice and like, you know, her whole business is up, 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 have, sorry, there's like a lot of, up. what's the word? Upheaval? Upheaval. Upheaval is the word. And so I, I wrote to her and said, uh, would you, would ha- having a meal delivered be helpful? Tell me where to buy it from, what you'd like and when to send it. And she declined saying there's a lot of family right now. So a lot of people could help with that right now. But I, I remember being taught that that was more, the specific offer was just a more genuine offer than let me know if you need anything. That I think when you're saying like, I'll rush in to be by your side, I can go to the grocery store. I can, I can come and read to you. Like, sounds like you're being even more than just like, I can show up. I can, but you're like specific in some way. And then people know how to receive that. Well, I, I think in, in times of transition, no matter what it is, career, family, whatever, we don't know what we don't know about that experience. And so there is, like you said, kind of a state of grace in there. Like so often people rush in at the very beginning, but, you know, making that tick in your calendar two weeks, four weeks, six weeks down the line to, to, to check in with those people, those can be a gift. So I, I was going to say earlier in the show, and it's come in twice now to say it, so I'm, I'm going to pop it in here. All of us listening to the show need to remember our presence is a present. And we live in a world of the opening chapter of the book. We live in a world of bigger, better, faster, and more. But when it really comes down to it, we never say we want to work more. We want to have more cars. We want to have more houses. You know, we want to be present for one another more. So look at your own life and your own business and what are you doing that invite you to give your presence to the world. And, you know, for me, it might be, I write one handwritten thank you note every single day. You talked about your, your three gratitude things. Well, how could you magnify that in the world? If you actually told those people, Hey, you were on my gratitude list today, you know, um, find that thing that is authentically you and give it, to the world. If it's, you know, I love to bake cookies. So, you know, Valentine's day was just coming, you know, I'm, I'm baking cookies. I'm doing those things, but it, it's giving your heart to the world. Maybe it's writing a poem or an email or picking up the phone. I, I, I just don't want your listeners to know it's their, their love language. It doesn't have to be mine, but finding what your presence is, that is the present to the world. You write a thank you letter every single day. That's an awesome practice. When did you start doing that? I have probably done that for years and years and years. I mean, it's three sentences. It's one thing, but it, it's putting it and let, let people know when they do good things for you. <laughs> and, is, and these are, these are handwritten. For, for me, it is. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I'm just imagining like getting a piece of mail like that, like that must, I mean, it carries such a greater weight of, I don't know. It just feels like it takes so much more effort because it's so rare these days. And yet you're saying, you know, you have a stack of stationery, you have stamps <laughs> and like, like the effort is not overburdening you to, to make that happen. And I, but the recipient is probably feeling like, wow, like that feels wonderful. So what a great little takeaway right there that we could all practice. I had a guest in the show, uh, Oh, Chandler Bolt, who spent a year reaching out to people that he looked up to and every day wrote a letter to one of them and unexpected things uh, came to him because of it. Things he could never have imagined connections, relationships, offers of books and advice, like he grew tremendously professionally and personally and his network grew with that one simple act of just reaching out. And it's like, I wanted to say in specific terms what I appreciate about you and that's it, like nothing in return. Like you're saying, I just want you to know you're on my gratitude list. Like 
for this reason. Um, and then people get to receive that. A wonderful way to amplify. So you also have an events background. So I'm curious whether you convene people, um, salons, dinners, gatherings, like whether it's when you're traveling or, you know, in Denver, are you, are you a host in some way? Oh, Robbie, thank you for asking. I'm actually very honored and privileged. In 2018, I partnered with MIC, which is the Meetings Industry of Colorado, to host our first, we call it the Mindfulness Information Center. And this is uh, an event that can be integrated into a larger event where we create a space, a gathering space, intentionally for your participants to come and become fully present in your meetings. So I will lead a visioning or lead a meditation. And then I will offer generally it's two or three like Ted talk trainings on, you know, for some, you know, if your audience is meeting planners, it's how to be a mindful meeting meeting professional or how to do these practices personally. The other book I have is called Mindful Leadership, the A to Z Guide of Stress-Free Leadership. And it's a practice for every letter of the alphabet. So I'll often work with the association acronym and help them bring mindfulness through a mindfulness information center. But I have great pictures of people, you know, meditating or doing a centering activity. And I do this with dentists and doctors and lawyers. So if you're sitting out there going, well, Holly, that's great, but my people don't wear, you know, Birkenstocks and they will never go on a yoga mat. That's the whole point is we don't do those things. And um, I've hosted that for many financial services, industry groups. um, And I have the privilege actually in March, I'll be doing it again at the MIC at MIC. So um, I believe that we focus a lot on the engineering of meetings and getting people there, but then we don't actually like bring them energetically into the room. And so a mindfulness practice does um, offer that. Oh, what an amazing thing that you actually have the space to do it, that you're like, people are convening in a space you're creating for that purpose. Like that's, it sounds magical. How did that come to be? Like, it seems like that that's a lot of effort behind the scenes for that to now be a thing that exists in the world. It's all partnership. We talked about this, you know, in the definition of leadership is about bringing various visions to, yeah. together. I, you know, because I am a meditator, again, that's not the only practice of mindfulness, but it is one. And in a meeting professional, I, I feel very fortunate that I, I have a pretty big Rolodex of people that knew that I did this work and they kind of invited me into it. And now it's become a product that I can offer um, for corporate and association conventions. And it doesn't have to be a big space. You know, sometimes it's, you know, it's a room room for 10 and, you know, I um, bring in all of the senses. So um, I will scent the room, you know, perhaps in orange or in lavender in a de-stress. Um, we'll have, you know, the ocean waves or mindful music in there to just help people have a safe place. And what I've found uh, doing this, it's some clients add that module, some don't, is just having a place where people can feel safe to to vent, to laugh, to share. I mean, there's a lot of change going on in the world. And so I often will offer some mini private coaching sessions in those rooms as well. And people people love knowing that the companies or the associations that they work for are sponsoring mindfulness practices. And I'll have all the research from, you know, Time and Newsweek and Forbes on, on mindfulness and some of those opening talks as well. That's awesome. I love how you're weaving this all together and, and leveraging your history of connections that when you're making this shift, you didn't think, oh, I have to start from scratch. Um, I don't know anyone in this new space, but you brought with you all the people from the meetings industry that knew you, that 
saw you as a resource that believed in you and now they're partnering with you around these these adventures, <laughs> these endeavors, which is really great. So one of my favorite questions, and it's kind of bringing us to the close here, is Holly, when we're reconnecting a year from now, and I know we're going to stay in touch, but you know, if we're if we're chatting a year from now and we are celebrating all of your successes, I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? Like, what are you looking forward to most in the year ahead? Oh, Robbie, that is such a fun question. I, I, you mentioned I'm working in the office here in Denver, Colorado, and I, I practice what I what I preach. And so above my desk here, is, as, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I have my 2019 um, vision board, because one of the things I say a lot is what you visualize, you actualize. But we have to visualize it and feel ourselves as that evolves and emerges. And in August, when I started writing the second book, I had a mantra that kind of came through to me and it was, I am CEO of a profitable leadership and self-help development company simultaneously supported by my loving and faithful husband. Together, we create a life of health, wealth, and happiness. Now, in that moment, I was more single than I'd ever been. My calendar was not full. The book was not done. The book was not any, anything, anywhere near. And so in you know, the, the five or six months since then, I've been saying this mantra, feeling into it, building the vision board. And so, you know, my, my hope would be, you know, again, if we practice what we preach that that vision is coming through of, of stepping into leading a profitable company, having the right um, partner in my life, uh, which is turning into a really great and wonderful um, thing. And letting that, that vision come through that lower, lower corner here is a, is a sunset ironically of, of Hawaii. I built this the week between Christmas and New Year's and I can show you the sunset on my vision board and the sunset that I took took last week, both in the yellow and orange hues. So um, I hope more of these things on that vision board, board come true. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to have that conversation and check in and celebrate with you. So Holly, where can people find you and follow your work? You know, I try to keep it simple. Holly at hollyduckworth.com. So just H-O-L-L-Y. D-U-C-K-W-O-R-T-H.com. Um, all of the books are available on Amazon. I'm never more than a phone call away. And of course, my podcast as well um, is the Everyday Mindfulness Show. Great. We'll have all those links, plus your LinkedIn and your Twitter on the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Holly, thank you so much. This has been a really fun conversation. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Holly. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 142. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. At the start of this episode, I was talking about goals and timing. To help you meet your 2019 goals, I suggest you sign up for the free replay of a recent masterclass I hosted called When to Tackle That Task. This was part of the Magic of Quarterly Goal Setting series that I'm co-hosting with Heidi K. Weber. Our discussion was inspired by When, the best-selling book written by Daniel Pink. Register for the free masterclass replay to learn when is more important than what or how as you work on your 2019 goals. Find it at robbysamuels.com forward slash goals two. That's robbysamuels.com slash goals and then number two. If you enjoyed this episode with Holly, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. 
It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.